You're listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Rose. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's a nice, cozy fall day. Isn't it, though? And I figured, you know, we get to talk to so many different people, and it's been a little while, so I thought, you know, let's see what Mary Kay Greer is up to and see if she's in town, because I know she's traveling a lot, and I know she's had a very busy schedule, but I thought, well, maybe we could try and see and we could reach out to her. What do you think? I think that's a great idea, because I haven't talked to Mary in forever. It feels like I haven't seen her in forever, too. Oh, well, it's true. Um, Well, do you want to try and ring a doorbell and see if it works? Uh, Yeah, sounds good. We'll find a doorbell sound. Uh, Hold on. The rap air horns. I got one of those. I can, you know, I wonder if she'd summon to this. Oh. (laughs) Hi. I heard a giggle there. Uh, Maybe she will. Hi, Mary. Hi, that was an interesting doorbell sound. Well, we're kind of interesting people, as you know, so we aim to please. We're eclectic in the morning. Um, well, it's lovely to have you on Tarot Visions. It's been a little while. So so how have you been? What, what exciting things have you been doing this year? And then I know I've got a lot of questions about what you're going to be doing next year. Oh, yes. This this past year has been incredibly busy. So a um, couple of trips to China, which were absolutely fabulous. Uh, they're amazing students there. Uh, also, I uh, was one of the leaders, I guess you would say, of a tour uh, to England, Tarot Magic in Merlin's Britain, which was amazing. So fabulous that we're going to do it again. Oh, exciting. Uh, this awesome. coming year, along with Scotland. Mm-hmm. And then, oh gosh, uh, Northwest uh, Tarot Conference early in the year and PantheaCon and uh, oh, it's hard to even remember everything. Uh, I was with Diane Wilkes in uh, oh. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. She does a wonderful uh, small conference there every year. And oh, that's a real treat to go to for a, a mini conference where you get a chance to really get connected with the other people that are there. Which is the uh, lovely thing about going to those small conferences. And if people, if you're listening, anytime you can go to a small conference and get to work one-on-one with anyone, specifically Mary, but anyone, <laughs> it's really good. It it really does give you more connection. That's wonderful. Yeah, um, in a sense that you're really building up that very personal community. You can do it at, at the large conferences, too. Yes. But there's something about the fact that everybody gets to interrelate with everybody else at the small small ones you know if it's under 50 people um yeah there's so that's even more intimate wow Wow. Uh uh-huh so um and she does it in one of the oldest public libraries in the united states oh how fascinating building yes although she might try to get us a a little bit larger place for next year well as it grows then that's good right yeah I yeah. think the energy, though, is, is amazing at those older places. You tap into the past and bring forth some of that energy through the cards and the interacting. Yes, you do. And, uh, yeah, I love going into, you know, the really old buildings and places in that sense of history. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I love about Tarot is there's such a sense of history to it. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you mentioned, since you you did mention it, uh, you got to do Tarot in Merlin's 
Britain, and now you've added Scotland. Is, is Scotland new to this new trip that you're doing for this coming year? Um, my part and the tarot emphasis is new, but uh, the main uh, leader organizer of it, Jamie George, is actually Scottish, and he's been leading tours to Scotland, I believe some in Ireland, and uh, Cornwall, including Glastonbury, Stonehenge. And we had to do a dawn ceremony, full moon, in Stonehenge all on our own. It was amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes. It was truly extraordinary. Did you get to lay out your cards and everything when you were there? Yeah, yeah. Mm. We, we were laying out our cards everywhere. And one mm. of the most exciting things, which I didn't discover until we came back, but we stayed three nights at a hotel called uh, the Camelot Castle Hotel in Tintagel, which oh, wow. is where one's cave is and supposedly King Arthur was uh, conceived through mm-hmm. the magic of Merlin. Uh, it's this old um, 19th century hotel right on the cliff above Merlin's cave. So one of their big uh, claims to fame is uh, King Arthur's round table. You know, it's mm-hmm. a huge round table that's got all the carvings in it and mm-hmm. names of all the knights. And uh, that was built uh, originally with the original hotel. Well, I found out after I got back from um, a friend that that's where Pamela Coleman Smith first met Henry Irving. Oh, wow. Here the hotel opened. It was then called King Arthur's um, Castle Hotel. They met at that hotel and would have sat at that same table. And we were doing tarot at that table with her deck. That's incredible. That's fantastic. And we know we also were communicating with her in the Mm -hmm. bar in the hotel using a pendulum. So, uh, and we kept going, wow, we're getting such interesting answers. And it's so responsive. Duh. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my God. Well, now you can go back yeah. when you do it this year with intent. And, and now you can ask more specific questions, I think. Oh, definitely. Because I've been working with um, a group with Stuart Kaplan on uh, what's going to be a wonderful book of Pamela Coleman Smith's artwork. And mm. so I've been involved in writing some of the text for it. Yeah, that's been another big thing. So that's why all this information's been coming. I've spent a year doing research about mm-hmm. Pamela Coleman Smith and working with other people on this book on her life and art. Since you brought it up, when can we expect it, or at least a preview of it? Uh, it won't be until the beginning of the year, sometime in, uh, I think, January or February. Yeah. So, so maybe just before PantheaCon or just after? I hope so, and definitely in time for Reader Studio. So how many people do you take along on your Tarot Magic Merlin's Britain and Scotland tours? Uh, this last year we had all together just under 30, so I think it was 28. This year we're planning on a little smaller group, especially for the Scotland part of it. Um, you know, best size makes a difference, getting around those little mm-hmm. tiny lanes. So I think it's going to be around 20. Yeah, oh, wow. and, uh, we're hoping to sign up, get it full by the end of the month, so that everything's set, you know, with all their arrangements. By the end of November. So, yeah, by the end of November. So if you want to go, get your uh, deposit in. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to put a link in the show notes yes. for that so people can yes. can find it and, and get on board with that. That's fantastic. And then I guess my question is, how did you how did you end up getting on with this tour? What When did that start? Because, again, it, you've been doing the research for this book. Actually, it's uh, my friend Linda Morrison. She mm-hmm. used to be president of the Australian Tarot Guild. 
quite a few years ago, and then after that started Global Spiritual Studies. Through that um, website and her overseeing, uh, she has a lot of webinars from both me and Rachel Pollack and actually Cashley Matthews, all kinds of people. She's uh, done webinars with them, and then they're available to purchase afterwards because she videos them. Mm-hmm. So continue to go back and um, uh, see. She's got tarot and psychology, um, cardamancy of various kinds, including Lenormand, and all kinds of um, courses, tarot Mm -hmm. and live incredible Kabbalah and tarot class. Yeah, of course, actually, it's a series of classes because she specializes in reading for seeing the different stages of your life through travels, journeys, whether you're on a physical trip or uh, armchair travel, that you actually get to uh, see the different learning that you get in the process of going through these trips and journeys. But she's been working with Jamie George, who um, is the, the person who actually organizes the, the tours has a, a bookstore in Glastonbury, Gothic oh, wow. Image Bookstore and Publishing House. And so he's um, he's been kind of at the center of the Glastonbury thing for 30, 40 years. <laughs> but he's originally Scottish, which is why he's got the good connection to Scotland. And so they just said, hey, Mary, you want to come do a tour with us? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and how can you not say yes? I mean, that's wondrous. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. Linda's really amazing at uh, kind of organizing and setting up these things. What are the stops that you guys made on mm-hmm. this tour? Oh, let's see. Um, Something to give our listeners to, if they, you know, encourage them to put their deposits down so they can oh, be part of that 20. Yeah, I don't have the list with me, and I'm terrible at remembering all the names without going over them. But, of course, there was Stonehenge and Avebury, and uh, we went down to Lands End, and we were at Tintagel, and we went to the Witchcraft Museum in... I'll think of it. I, I can't think of it right this second. Okay. Yeah, and uh, we went to Booth because we went to uh, where Pamela Coleman Smith mm-hmm. died and mm-hmm. went searching in the graveyard where she's probably buried uh, to see if we could find the burial site. And I do have a nice little story about that. We're in the graveyard and going, uh, we had brought both um, dowsing rods and pendulums. And mm-hmm. so we're going around because she died penniless or Mm -hmm. very little money and owing a lot of money, it turns out, uh, almost entirely to the uh, equivalent of the IRS, to their revenue. And uh, she just didn't pay her taxes. Anyway, she all everything she owned was sold off to pay pennies on uh, what was owed, and so when she was buried uh, in the fifties, you know, soon after the war, uh, they didn't provide headstones, and there's a whole area where kind of the penniless were buried. Since that's the closest um, burial ground around, that's most likely where she was buried, but without any marker, and any records got burned up in a parish house fire Mm -hmm. so we went around with our dousing rods and our pendulum and we found this one spot and we're all going yeah everything seems to be this place and linda went to pull out her pendulum to check it with hers linda marson and she Mm -hmm. she pulled it out and it slipped out of her fingers and she heard it fall and we all went looking for it we couldn't find it anywhere 
finally she said, okay, you know, it's a, a gift to Pamela. And we did a wonderful little ceremony right over the spot where we all thanked Pamela for her deck and told her how much we loved it and how wonderful it was to be there. So then uh, we go back to the bus and just as we're getting on, the bus driver who had stayed on the bus the whole time holds up something and says, does this pendulum belong to anybody? I just found it on the bus. Oh, wow. That she had taken out of her bag and dropped. and dropped. That's the pendulum we used that night at Tintagel Castle to ask Pamela questions and got <laughs> such amazing responses. What a gift. Yeah, it, it was one of those kind of very special moments. Fantastic. So we also went to quite a few other mm -hmm. small stone circles and mm -hmm. some wonderful little hidden chapels that were built over wells, which of course would have been sacred places for much, much longer. <sighs> wonderful hikes through um, uh, beautiful, beautiful countryside and very special sacred places. We did rituals at uh, several of them, just very small, simple ones. The Stonehenge one, which we did a little more formally. Then, yeah, just uh, communing and drawing cards, all the different places and discussing them as we went. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So you spend how many days in um, Britain? Um, I, I think it's um, eight days in Scotland and ten in Britain, but it's all on uh, the website at Global Gotcha. Okay. okay, well, we'll make sure that yeah. that's in the links. Wow. Yeah. And but, again, then we get to spend, <laughs> you know, 18 days with you. So yes. that's, you know, you do both. Yes. You can separate or do both. There's a discount for doing both of them back to back. So what can people expect in the Scotland portion, since that's kind of a new addition? Oh, I don't have the list of it. That's fine. Okay, that's, that's fine. Okay. Actually, I've only been to, um, you know, the very edge of Scotland ever myself. So this is all going to be new to me. Mm. Oh, how so, exciting. England a long time ago, but I was mostly uh, in London. And then the few trips back, I've only been to a few of the places around. Mm -hmm. the so a lot of it was new to me last year. And then um, Scotland's going to be primarily new for me. We'll all get to explore it together then. That will be great. We'll have to ask you how it went when you come back. So you mentioned China as well. So you're teaching in China. It seems like this is a new trend for a lot of our really wonderful teachers. What did you get to go out and, and do? I mean, obviously tarot. How did that go for you? And, and when are you going back? Well, I'm going back twice next year. I've been there four times already. And uh, all I can say is that the students are amazing. Uh, they tend to be a little younger than the ones that come to most of the conferences here in the United States. I know that there's a lot of really young people who are totally into tarot now, but they haven't really gotten into the conference thing as much. China, the, they tend to be from their, well, I'm kind of guessing here, but mid-20s to their 40s. Um, mm -hmm. So whereas we tend to be a little bit on the older side, yeah. um, a lot of them are uh, professionals. The last two times I was there, I was working with a small group that are all professional readers. They probably make more money than I do. <laughs> So, um, yeah, they're very, very serious about what they do. And mm -hmm. one of the 
things that uh, has been really interesting for me is that their mode of teaching in China is very much a lecture mode. You sit there and you take notes, and the teacher sits up at the head of the class and smokes and <laughs> and tells you what you're supposed to be taking notes for. I teach very experientially, mm -hmm. so I come in and uh, start doing all these experiential things with them, and they love it. Oh. So um, with this group, most of whom are, uh, as I said, professional readers and many of them teachers, they are um, using more and more the experiential type of learning techniques, which mm -hmm. is pretty new to them. But I mean, they are so excited. And this, this group, who I worked with twice, that's why I went back twice this year, mm -hmm. at the end, they each had to teach a 15-minute experiential mm -hmm. thing. And they did incredible. The things they were coming up with, I asked them, like, can I use them? <laughs> they had such wonderful, fresh new ideas. Oh, wow. Interactive processes for people and group processes. Mm -hmm. They were just so exciting. I mean, those last couple of days while they were doing their assignments were fabulous. I can't tell wow. you how thrilled I am with them because this is basically uh, very new to them to do this kind of uh, interactive small group one-on-one -on -one kinds of experiences yeah is there any wow. sort of trends that china has going on in tarot that's kind of different than the western side of it well one of the problems with going and teaching is that we don't get to see as much what they're doing one of the reasons I was so excited to have them, you know, do something was to, you know, see what they do, except what they were doing was not what they normally would do. Right, right. Um, there is a lot of interest in the tarot and psychology because mm -hmm. quite a few people are also therapists. They also integrate uh, things like feng shui and Chinese astrology mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. various healing modalities, especially Reiki, uh, with their, or that's what they offer. They offer mm -hmm. the, a range of things, and mm -hmm. can be included in that or can be separate. I would say that the, the work they do is pretty sophisticated. A lot of them are also have uh, studied Chinese medicine. You know, they're, they're very well-educated. Very, very bright and very excited about integrating all kinds of new modalities and, you know, Western modalities into what they do at the same time that they, you know, have really studied, like I said, the Feng Shui and the Chinese astrology. So mm -hmm. they've got a handle on a real range of experiential things. They're very much into crystals and... Mm. Not as much um, new tarot decks. Uh, that's just beginning to take off. It's mm -hmm. primarily the Emma Coleman Smith Rider mm -hmm. and Weight deck that wow. they use. Uh, partly because um, fortune telling is kind of officially illegal in China. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. They so many other things that you know the officials are involved in that that's something that they basically at this stage historically are ignoring, but. Uh -huh. To publish is um, a problem, mm. and so they uh, get my books from Taiwan and uh, in uh, South Korea. Huh. So um, mostly they get the ones published in Taiwan, but they yeah publishing um, you know decks, which is a really big thing in Japan and Korea. Yes, it is. 
Taiwan is not really possible at this point in China, just because that makes it too official. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. But it's also interesting to hear that they incorporate it, and it's yeah. kind of more natural uh, than how we do it, kind of on the West, where you know, tarot is about fortune telling, and then versus you know, we're starting to do and add more psychology. I mean, as you know. With uh, Reader Studio, they have that one full day of tarot and psychology and how it's blended. And it's becoming oh. more um, acknowledged in the West as a thing. Whereas, in, as you're saying, on, in the East, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, of course we do that. Which is kind of yeah. nice to hear that, you know, the wheels are turning over here as well to get more authenticity. No, that's not the right word. Oh, can't even I think feel more it's like it's an integration where yes. they're, they're, Thank they've you. fully more integrated it into all the sorts of modalities, especially the healing modalities than mm-hmm. we have, where if you go to somebody like say at a haunted house or something, cause I've, you know, spent most of my readings at haunted houses last month, <laughs> you know, they come and they sit and they think, Oh, this is for entertainment purposes only or whatnot. But it's amazing. Some of the questions, even in those entertainment areas where they go really oh, yeah. deep because mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, there's noise. Nobody's going to overhear me or this is just a one-off thing. And you know, let's just see what comes out. Yeah, and suddenly they're sitting there sobbing and going, how did you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't want to paint too, um, you know, pristine a picture of it. No, no. um, You know, there's a whole range, and I think there is uh, some stuff with TV uh, they do get on television, um, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. You can't publish, but they get on TV, but. Well, <laughs> yeah, every place is a little different. So there's yeah. there's a range of the experiences that they offer, but they do try to separate themselves from the traditional uh, marketplace fortune tellers, which mm-hmm. still exist, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's a little bit of a looking down the nose on the marketplace fortune tellers who do kind of the very traditional uh, ways. There's still a lot of respect for I Ching and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, definitely something that is seen as a respectful um, area. But they try to differentiate themselves from the, you know, marketplace traditional mm-hmm. reader in that they're a little more scientific or something. Right. And that gives them a little edge to, um, you know, not just be fortune teller predictors. They, they mm-hmm. want themselves out of something a, a little more than that. So um, it's got a bit of a new age spin um, to it, but that's that's perfectly okay. Well, and speaking of you know teaching, because you're going to be teaching fairly soon, uh, I know that you are one of three people on the big, the big list for Reader Studio this year, 2018. And um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about. I know you can't tell us what you're teaching because I rem- I've done this enough times to Reader Studio, <laughs> but what is it that you're hoping that you and and Rachel and Benabel can give as a group, maybe? Hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. And especially because of your experience in China, you know, and the Chinese medicine and things like that, I know that Benabel has done a lot of talking about the studies that she has done, and I'm wondering if maybe there was something you two might want to talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I haven't talked to either one of them about what they're specifically going to be doing. It's still mm-hmm. a little bit off. And, of course, always what happens is if you plan too far ahead what you're going to do, that's no longer what you're spending all of your time and energy focusing on when it comes around time to uh, do the conference, mm-hmm. which is one reason why we don't really reveal too much ahead of time what we're going to do because they right. just – 
heard, why do why teach old stale stuff from a year ago when people are working and really excited about something totally different at the Correct. time the conference actually happens? Um, yeah, we haven't really sat down and talked together about what we're going to do. Do you have any ideas what you would like to see from me? <laughs> Everything. Oh yeah. That's so that's that's the huh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 now looking forward to just hearing more about what's going to happen with what you discovered with your Pamela Coleman Smith studies, because mm-hmm. I know that you are you go very deep with that, so it's always exciting to hear what new things you've discovered because you are kind of, in my view, the the expert of experts in Pamela Coleman Smith, in my opinion, and it's something I've always admired about you is that when we do the people bring their Pamela A's and Pamela B's and Pamela D's and you are okay now here's the difference here and here's this and and you get to you know we get to see all the things that we we you know we've read a book somewhere about it but you bring it to life and it's really quite exciting so I'm looking forward to hearing more about how that goes and what new things you have found on this new book with the about Pamela and I'm That's my history something I would really love to do yeah actually because <clears throat> yeah there's there's so many little details about her life that um, things that are known and things that are not known. One of the most interesting things about Pamela is that although there's more known than what is generally out there or people just don't pay as much attention to it, the sense is that we know very little about her. And mm-hmm. especially during the latter part of her life, we know practically nothing. And we've mm-hmm. been looking. I even talked to the people who live in the house that she lived in before she moved to Boo, the one, the pre-vacation resort that she had down at the Lizard, which is at the very tip of England, very isolated area. So anyway, um, because so little is known about her, people feel free to make up all these things about her. Right. Which is uh, very interesting, but also becomes quite confusing because people get very attached to their stories. They Mm -hmm. they pick up a little thread or hint of this or that. They make up a huge story in their head about it. And then they start putting it out as if this was the Mm -hmm. reality. And... um, for most of the things that are the basis, uh, the biggest basis of these kinds of stories, we really have no evidence whatsoever to make a definitive statement. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the was what her um, heritage is, her, her mm-hmm. DNA background. Uh, she was um, a very odd-looking. Uh, most people considered she was short, but not that short. I've got mm-hmm. a friend who's almost exactly the same height, and I said, you're not that short. <laughs> and uh, she has, you know, dark curly hair and I think slightly dark skin. Plus, mm. the big thing was that she always dressed up in these fantastic gowns, either very oriental looking or she dressed up to tell her Jamaican folk tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, one of the uh, old women storytellers mm-hmm. from Jamaica and, um, you know, really had the Jamaican accent down the, the dialect. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole thing about whether she was mixed blood. Uh, most people, though, described her as Japanese or Chinese looking. It wasn't, you know, uh, and people at the time were confused. They mm-hmm. weren't really sure. Plus, for her living in England, and, but being uh, from American parents, she was a little odd anyway. <laughs> it's true. Sounds like she's um, more of a shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah. So she actually was born in England but with American parents who were mm-hmm. working father was working over there 
So that's the big thing. And then the other was her sexuality. Mm-hmm. There's no known romantic relationship in her life. There's one letter in which one of Yates's sisters uh, mentions that um, she moved down to Cornwall because of this doctor she was enamored with. Mm-hmm. But we've gotten no information about that, and we've checked out every doctor whose name came up in relation with her life, and none of them are real possibilities for a romantic relationship. But her very best friends, her mm-hmm. closest friends, both in Brooklyn and in um, England, were lesbian. Oh, and uh, well, when I say closest friends, she had really close friends like Yates and, and other people. So she had male close friends as well as female. But her the ones that she spent the most time with were roommates with and, and so on, but definitely not sexual partnership uh, roommates, were lesbian and famously so. So that brings up another question, was she, wasn't she? But there's absolutely no evidence. A woman she was living with when she died, Nora Lake, was had been the wife of the groundskeeper at the uh, priest retreat that she had. And um, they, you know, two elderly ladies, a uh, widow and a single woman, you know, who had very little income. Nora Lake had been her housekeeper, and her husband had been the groundskeeper. So, um, you know, that makes sense. But oh, yeah. the stories that people create <laughs> around mm-hmm. all of this. Because they would love that. That would, you know, that's that yeah. inclusion. You know, I, I get that. It's, you know, you, wanna, you want that connection, and maybe that's that way that some people will feel that. But if there's no evidence, uh, maybe how, we should not you, assume that. How do you go uh, about gathering all yeah. the, the proper evidence Uh, We actually had a woman to dinner on our trip to um, uh, England, to the Tarot Magic and Merlin's trip, whose grandmother had been a close friend of Pamela Coleman-Smith. So she came to dinner and regaled us with stories of her grandmother and her family. And they were part of the very artistic London crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, there was very little, you know, additional facts that we could put in. She brought in a book that had been loaned and never returned that had Pamela Coleman Smith's green uh, signature on it. Mm -hmm. wrote in green ink. Um, And, you know, she had a a few comments from her grandmother who had at one time been one of Pamela's very close friends. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it was mostly how much her grandmother loved Pamela. (laughs) Right, of course. And what fun they had, and um, that she was sorry to have seen her go off to Cornwall and had lost uh, touch with her. Um, Pamela became a Roman Catholic soon after the deck was produced, and Mm -hmm. from that point on started separating herself from the London community. How is it that you are able to do the research when it's Mm -hmm. so scant in what's available? How do you get through to that? It's been um, 30, 40 years, uh, primarily Stuart Kaplan and Melinda Boyd Parsons are the two major people, uh, Stuart collecting all of the information and writing. I mean, he showed me a file, a huge file of all the letters and things and the connections that he's made. He put um, notices in newspapers, uh, both in Boot and the Lizard area for years who knew her, please get in touch with him. You know, he was interested in buying things. So through the years, he managed to uh, collect a major collection of her artwork. Mm -hmm. 
and that's uh, the basis of the book, although it also brings in <clears throat> art from other sources. Anyway, um, and then Melinda, who is an art professor mm-hmm. of art history, she spent 30 years or more going around. She went to uh, all these different archives, like the... Um, a center, a theatrical center that where they in London where they've collected letters and, mm-hmm. and photographs. There's the Ellen Terry collection, uh, which has a lot of stuff because Ellen Terry was the foster mother in a sense of Pamela Coleman Smith, and mm-hmm. uh, Pamela spent a lot of time at her home in which is now under the National Trust. So oh, nice. You can go to Ellen Terry's home and see a lot of original artwork of Pam, by Pamela Coleman Smith at the home and that's probably where Pamela Coleman Smith actually painted the minor arcana the cards the deck because she only had a couple of months to do it in Mm -hmm. right she had been traveling in England and we don't know the exact timeline but she she did as she said uh, you know very big task for very little pay and very short time um luckily she worked quite fast and was known for that when she uh, got up the gumption uh she has letters and also a woman named elizabeth o'connor who's also one of the co-writers on this book um has done quite a few quite a bit of research in more recent years uh they've collected letters that she wrote when she was a young woman in jamaica and going back and forth to um uh to brooklyn where her parents both her father's and mother's family were from Uh, we've gotten Hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds, uh, probably 300 to 500 um, uh, newspaper articles about her. Oh, wow. Uh, One of them in the United States because her family was uh, on both sides was very well known in Brooklyn. They were sort of the aristocracy of Brooklyn, if you would call them that. Um, So her grandfather on her father's side had been mayor of Brooklyn and then a state senator. Wow. Yeah. So, and uh, it seems there's practically nothing known about his son, her, uh, you know, father. So uh, the thought is that he may have been a little bit of a black sheep and that he was more artsy and so on. And then Pamela Coleman Smith's uncle was um, a very well-known uh, painter, Samuel Coleman, from the Hudson mm-hmm. Valley School. Mm-hmm. So um, there's various things from... Um, those sides of the family that have been found and people doing genealogical research have uh, found other things. But some of the newspaper articles in the 19th century, they were very chatty, very gossipy mm-hmm. in uh, some of the articles. And so we, that's where we got bits and pieces. So letters, um, the photographs that were in various um, you know, collections, and uh, these newspaper articles that most of, most of them hadn't been seen. It's only in the last couple of years that so many uh, newspapers are now cataloged uh, and available online. Actually, you know, they can do good enough with the OCR that they can actually pick out names in these old newspapers that have been scanned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can actually follow them up. And you learn to use every variation on her name to look for things like I would find stuff by searching on Miss Smith and Yates. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wouldn't find anything looking on Pamela Coleman Smith. Or, uh, so finding, you know, any word connected with her that would be unusual enough that I could connect with the name Smith might bring up a reference to a Miss Smith. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. And again, having, having 
it's about as good as looking up Miss Jones, correct? Because yeah. you've got yeah. Miss Smith. <laughs> well, usually they would refer, they would use her full name, although they spelled it in two different ways. The Coleman, even in in the states, would sometimes be spelled with an E and sometimes without. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pamela Coleman Smith or Miss Coleman Smith. But it's interesting that her father, uh, which his name is even harder. I mean, Charles Smith. <laughs> yes. Oh. Is it, Chuck Smith or Chaz Smith, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of them from Brooklyn. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I bet. So oh trying to find him has uh, been much, much, much more difficult. So there's very little actually known about her father, mm-hmm. um, except a few references in the local Brooklyn newspapers. Mm-hmm. Her side of the family, her grandparents, Pamela Coleman Smith's mm-hmm. grandparents, were Swedenborgians oh. and uh, publishers. And so they published um, a good good amount of the Swedenborgian material that was available in the United States. And there was wow. quite a following, especially along the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So that made it a little easier than it sounds like. To uh, track down her grandparents, but yeah. not as much her mother or mm-hmm. father. Yeah. I know. It's interesting. The grandparents are there. And then she's there. <laughs> and her parents, very little is known mm-hmm. about them. Wow. Sounds like it could be a generational thing, maybe, you know, when when you grow up with parents under the umbrella of uh, society or, you know, in the umbrella of society, it's maybe you just don't want to be in the limelight as much as they do. That and then also uh, going off to England. So, um, you know, they she kept going back and forth between um, England and the United States, which is uh, because she found. Being from, you know, a Londoner, coming back to the States with Brooklyn family, mm-hmm. uh, it was very um, sought after for doing shows of her artwork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was an, uh, her going back there every year was an ability to make quite a bit of money selling her art mm-hmm. and then back to London, yeah, where she couldn't sell it as much because um, she just wasn't. Um, well, the newspapers didn't pick her up as much. Most of the newspaper accounts in England tend to focus more on her. Um, what do you call it? Her her fairy tale, uh, not fairy tale, folklore. Her oh, okay. performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she w- did have um, a bit of a following for that, but that wasn't a huge thing. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, some society events and some things with Yates and, and so on, some of the other crowd, but um, they were appreciated. I could just sit here and listen to talk to you all the more. stuff about it all that we found. No, no, it's wondrous. Um, and a lot of it will be coming out next year, right? Yeah. So, so it, it was fascinating. I mean, I, I just would get totally hooked in looking in every one of the newspaper sources that I could. And um, so also was Melinda and Stewart and, um, you know, his team and Elizabeth and Melinda. Yeah. So we were all kind of going through all of this material and sharing it with each other, which was quite wonderful. Um, although most of it will be in the book. Yes. Yay. Well, yes. And we look forward to hearing uh, readings from it when you are able to do so and sharing and getting these bits of chunks of uh, anecdotal knowledge from you. It's always exciting. What else are you doing? I mean, <laughs> isn't that enough? Listen, <laughs> isn't that enough sometimes? I know. I come home, have enough time to wash clothes, connect with a few friends, uh, do another piece mm-hmm. on whatever deadline I had assigned, and head off again. And I mean, I would be literally home from anywhere from a week to two weeks, and then wow. off. 
So, and it was always crazy. It was like, you know, up to here with uh, all the deadlines on various things. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm supposed to be for a while working on uh, a Jung and Tarot book. I don't feel that uh, anybody else has really gotten into the practical dimensions of Mm -hmm. it as much. Uh, there's certainly several books that talk about how Jung might have seen, like Sally Nichols' wonderful book, mm-hmm. um, I think is an ex- a perfect example of how any Jungian, including Jung, would have looked at the major arcana. She used mm-hmm. the Marseille uh, deck as her base. Um, but uh, I think she did an, uh, an outstanding job of um, a, a true Jungian looking at those images. And then some of the other books are very good at kind of giving an overview of, um, um, you know, some of Jung's concepts. But I'd like to take that deeper. And Mm -hmm. I find, um, you know, what seems to be every reference that Jung made in print and in classes which are now being transcribed Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, the tarot, which isn't a whole lot, but enough to know. That, you know, if he had had time and a little kick in the pants, he would have gotten into it much more deeply. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely along the lines. Um, he had a few misconceptions about the history of tarot, of course. But the important thing, which is there in, uh, to a great degree in 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, but not mm-hmm. officially acknowledged. It's acknowledged, but not that's not the focus. Right. Uh, yeah, is that you know real practical dimension of how do we take these concepts and ideas and work with them in a very Jungian, you know, marry the Jungian idea without having to force your clients into that Jungian perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they're not there to learn about Jung, they're there to learn about themselves. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, what do you do when you're not teaching them all about the uh, model of the psyche that Jung had? Uh, but for him to understand those, for the client to understand the dynamics without having to go into the whole storyline of it. So, yeah, I'd like to write a book that goes more specifically into that focus. Mm-hmm. And it's something I'm taking more and more to China. Um, giving them some of that perspective because it turns out they're familiar with all the terminology. They're just not familiar with Carl Jung. Um, wow. That's unless interesting. They're a ther- specifically a therapist, but it's not generally known in the, the general public. Mm-hmm. So you know, they've heard of the shadow. They've heard of, um, you know, they understand the idea of shadow work, you know, some idea of it, at least some of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them have even heard of an anima or anonymous type of thing. But, um, yeah, they just didn't know where it came from. I'm able to uh, bring in the whole story and show how it all interconnects mm-hmm. in a way that they haven't seen before. So do we get to see you this year at Reader Studio? You yes. mean Panthea yeah. Con? Oh, oh, the other, the other big one. The other yeah. big one. Yes. Yes, I will be at PantheaCon, and I wasn't able to make it last year because I got one of the worst flus ever. We hope you we did you proud when we got to teach your class, Charlie. Yes, right? yes, thank you, so thank you so much for stepping in. Yes, I, I was so glad that you all were available to step in. It really, um, you know, made me relax 
because okay. I knew it would be handled well. And what did you think of doing it? Oh, I had a wonderful time. And uh, in fact, Charlie and I were like, okay, how can we do this again? Um, <laughs> but then again, you know, Mary's got to teach it because we want to go, not just teach yeah. it. So oh. it's kind of that finding that balance. And we, I know we've both talked about teaching it in our other groups that we have as well. Please so do. Please it's been do. lots of fun. Oh, and tell people we're talking about the tarot circle. Circles, yes. Tarot circles. We have, you know, um, over 100 people uh, reading for each other and, uh, you know, very quick. At, uh, what do they call speed dating? It's sort of speed tarot reading. Yeah, yes. you're giving about 10 and getting about 10, you know, mm-hmm. or a few less than that maybe. But, yeah, close to that. It's um, very quick and uh, from a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So with these prompts that uh, have you um, reacting differently each time. So you don't get to fall into, um, you know, a little trap of uh, what exactly. you think it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And you always feel like you've stretched yourself. I, I've yeah. done that now in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and mm-hmm. I've done it in China uh, awesome. with people there. And, uh, yeah, they they all love it. So I encourage people to, um, you know, take the concept out and continue to develop it. Um, the, with the smaller group, of course, the um, the intimate tarot circle where you're just sitting in a circle mm-hmm. is uh, much more handleable. And um, a lot of different ways that you can do that uh, smaller, intimate circle. Yeah. On that note, um, we have taken up a, a whole hour already. It's amazing. I didn't even feel it. It went yep. by so fast. Um, so we'd like to say thank you for your time. And thank you, listeners, for uh, being part of Visions today. Thank you. It was wonderful being here. Thank you for listening to Tarot Visions a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, please find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at Tarot underscore Visions.